He sat alone above the desert, redly backlit and framed in shale, watching very yellow payloaders crawl over the beaten dirt of some USA construction site several kilometers to the southeast. The outcropping's height allowed him to look out over most of USA area code 6026. His shadow did not yet reach the downtown regions of the city Tucson, not yet quite. Of sounds in the arid hush were only a faint and occasional hot wind, the blurred sound of the wings of sometimes an insect, some tentative tickling of loosened grit, and small stones moving farther down the upslope behind. And as well, the sunset over the foothills and mountains behind him, such a difference from the watery and somehow sad sunsets of southwestern Quebec's Papineau regions, where his wife had need of care. This sunset more resembled an explosion. It took place above and behind him and turned some of the time to regard it. The sunset was swollen and perfectly round and large, radiating knives of light when he squinted. It hung and trembled slightly like a viscous drop about to fall. It hung just above the peaks of the foothills behind him and slowly was sinking. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Tuesday, March 13th, 2018, and Treefort is here. Do you have your wristband? Do you have the app? Do you have a plan? Are you just going to wing it? It's possible, but maybe I'll put together a not-to-be-missed post on the 42 Minutes Facebook page. And speaking of not-to-be-missed, today's guests are ones that you definitely don't want to miss. On Friday, March 23rd at 9 p.m., you're definitely going to want to make your way over to the Olympic to catch Escondido. Escondido is Jessica Maros and Tyler James, both longtime Nashville singer-songwriters. The two met in 2011 during a late-night session at James' home studio and bonded over a shared love of Enyo Morricone's Spaghetti Western soundtracks. They recorded their debut album, The Ghosts of Escondido, in a single day and released it on their own label, Kill Canyon, in 2013 to critical acclaim. The duo's David Lynch-approved sound became the soundtrack for multiple films and TV shows, including HBO's Girls, and led to appearances on Conan and ABC's Nashville. The band toured extensively with the likes of Lord Huron, The Lone Bellow, and The Staves before releasing their sophomore album, Walking with a Stranger, in 2016. Following their first national headlining tours, Maros relocated to Los Angeles, where the pair recently recorded their third album, Warning Bells, with producer... Rob Schnoff, the first single, Darkness, is out now. It's it's a treat to host them today. How are you guys doing, and where are you at today? Well, we're great. We are. We just got back from our first flight of our tour, and currently in Nashville, relaxing <laughs> before we head out again. And so Nashville was your old hometown, and now it's not. Well, I it was and it is it's now again um i lived in la for three years and i just moved back a couple months ago so i've now relocated back to nashville i kind of skip back and forth a bunch but yeah i have a home here excellent 
And and so, do you live there too? Yeah, I live in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've lived here. I moved here in 2000 to go to college and then just stayed. So I apparently like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, what is the Nashville scene like? Is it, is it, uh... Oh my gosh, it's, it's changed a lot. It's completely different from what it was when I, I mean, I first got here in 2003 and I was coming here on writing trips and from what it was in 2003 to what it is now, it's like night and day. Um, there's a lot now, there's a lot more people, there's a lot more bars and, um, just a lot, yeah, a lot more going on. Um, back in the day, it was very small and very quaint, and everyone knew each other. And, um, and it's still kind of like that now, but, you know, you'll go into a coffee shop, and you'll be like, I don't really know anyone that's here. And before, you kind of knew everyone. <laughs> so um, there's pros and cons, but... Well, what about... so? Good. The, the The interesting thought, I wonder about... Nashville is so you guys have a a country flavor I wouldn't call it country music by any stretch but there are uh authentic you know so there's this really interesting split between people who are doing basically pop country and uh um Oh, I can't think of Margot Price is one that comes to mind who's somebody who's doing you know pretty authentic sounding country um, like Americana. Yeah, yeah, more yeah, infused with all kinds of roots and stuff. But what about the folks that come to Nashville to write pop country tunes? Is there a pretty steady influx of, you know, people like that? Yeah, I mean, it's totally different. It's two different worlds. Uh, sometimes kind of collide, but I think it's almost a different kind of person that comes here to make a living, just to kind of write in a lot of that world. Um. You know, you just meet with somebody every day and, and write a song, might be with a stranger, and then you hope that after a few years, one of them gets cut by a bigger artist on the record or something. And then um, I think it's a good, the, the pop country thing always will exist, at least in Nashville, because it's, it's a great economy. Um, a lot of people that we know, kind of their side job is within that realm. And so it's, it's a great way for everyone in Nashville to kind of make money. And there's lots of different parts of the industry you can kind of be a part of to do that. Um, but, you know, whether or not the artists that pursue that, that's what they love, I'm not sure. You know, it's hard to tell if it's something they feel passionate about or if it's something they just, they're just business people that have to play music. I don't know. Um, we're not that. And there's a lot of, I'd say majority of people moving here, at least that we meet, um, are the are the other type. They want to be, you know, Townsend Zant and Emily Harris and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's a little harder to, you know, there's less of there's less of market for that. It's there, but it's just like now it kind of feels like everybody moves here. There's thousands of kids walking out the bus with fringe jackets and big hats, and, and they want to be, <laughs> uh, you know, they want to be Margot Price, I guess. There's, uh, but you know, there's um, I'm not sure how many people actually will, there's room for that many people doing that, but, uh, it's weird. And there's not a lot of, but when you travel around, at least now around the world, people know what Nashville's about. I think that when I moved to Nashville, it really was like all people knew about it was that it was country. And there wasn't really a lot of distinctions within that genre. It was just kind of like, 
oh, you're like George Strait, you're like Kenny Chesney or something. And so it yeah. took a long time to convince yeah. the world that there was more than that for that. And also a lot of, it helped that a, lot, a number of kind of celebrities like Jack White and stuff moved here and kind of, um, they, the scene was already happening, but they kind of like gave it a little more notoriety to it and the world kind of recognized it for what it is now. It's interesting when I came to Nashville, I, I was living, I came from Vancouver, Canada. And so I remember when I had a, a record deal, um, it was like a development deal. And they were like, well, come, you know, we're going to send you to Nashville. And I'm, I was just like, really? What's in Nashville? I had no idea what, I never really listened to country music growing up. And so I didn't know what was here at all. I didn't know if there was like an underground scene or I didn't even know that you could make a living writing songs and that's it. <laughs> it was just, I would come here and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's all you do. You just write songs and people sing them. That's so cool. What a, what a way of life. Um, but yeah, things have changed now. <laughs> well, so then, I mean, you brought up an interesting point, uh, as you know, working musicians, you can, there's probably uh, studio work, frequent fr studio work because of all the pop country stuff. Is that what you, you were saying? Yeah. I mean, not for me, um, <laughs> particularly because I'm not that, um, much of a, I'm not a really good player. Um, I'm more of a songwriter. So, but the songs that I choose to write are particularly more for my artist, for my artistry and kind of for my own story. And sometimes, you know, people will go out and they'll, they do, they, their whole livelihood is to just write songs. And I can't, turn them out every day the way that a lot of these songwriters do. I um, I like to take my time and, and just really figure out what it is that I want to say as an artist. And uh, it's a little bit more of a personal process for me. Um, and I like to keep it that way. Um, but, but, you know, occasionally, you know, that's the way to make money around here. And so sometimes a lot of people are forced to, you know, just think outside of the box and, and go and write with whoever. Um, but I tend to lose myself in that process. And I don't, I'm sort of like really, I don't want to do that. I want it to be very, uh, from my perspective. Well, uh, there is a big studio scene here. Yeah, there's a lot of um, myself and a lot of my friends. That it's, and it's not just pop country, though. It's uh that is a senior and there's lots of studios that make it you know, busy from that. But uh, a lot of my, uh, a lot of artists that, you know, move to do music and they're say their early twenties or something, that's a natural progression that kind of happens. I'm seeing a lot which for myself and a lot of people just kind of move into more producer roles and studios. And that's kind of been a fun thing of being here a while is to see a lot of friends kind of wear a lot of different hats. Um, in order to stay doing what they love. And so um, it's an exciting time to be here. And uh, But also there's a lot of side work for a lot of people that play with us, have side gigs that play with, you know, these crazy large country artists that, you know, they, they go on tours, play in arenas, and they come back and play little clubs with us. And it doesn't really matter to them. Um, they like doing both. 
but that is something that's unique to, um, I think Nashville and I run into a lot of musician friends in different cities and they just don't have that outlet to be able to do that. And so that's a big perk of living here. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. So you guys, the core of the band is, is YouTube. And then when you go out on tour, do you bring the same folks with you or do you just whoever's available or how, how does, how do you fill out the band when you go on tour? It depends on the tour um, and what the shows are. You know, sometimes we can afford it. We'd love to take out a full band, but uh, sometimes we just do a duo or trio. Um, depending on how much money we're willing to lose, I guess. <laughs> so we try to, we try to bring uh, um, the same people, you know. But like, just we're talking about a lot of our friends have lots of the gigs, and so we have to. We've had to kind of have different bands in LA and here. So we have like now we have like up to like seven or eight bands that know our music, which hasn't been ideal. You know, I, I've always wanted to be like Wilco or something like the same five people grinding it out forever. But uh, just because of what, what our needs are, it's been that way where we use different people. And it's kind of also fun too, because each tour feels a little different in a great way because they're all great musicians in their own regard. And then so uh, right now you said you're on a break. Where Where did the tour start? Oh, Boston. We started in Boston. In yeah, Boston. Yeah. And how long have and you been we out? We went down to Florida. We went for like 13 days, but it was, but we had one day off, and so it was a show every night. And it was, we went from Boston, Philly, all the way to, you know, like North Carolina, Florida. All, all the towns. New York. <laughs> the first time in Florida, actually, which is pretty nice. We listened to Florida Georgia Line Cruise crossing the line from Georgia to Florida is really a highlight from myself professionally. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, are you are you mostly playing stuff from the the unreleased album that's that's coming out, and when does that come out? It's mostly a blend of kind of all our records. We're um, playing stuff in the first, second, and, and a few new songs as well. And we're not really sure when it's going to come out, but we do have a new single um, coming out at the end of the month on March 23rd. Am I right, Tyler? Okay, yeah, next thing was March 23rd. Yeah. In um, the video um, place. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about... I mean, so this is a conversation every year when I talk to musicians during Tree Fort. I grew up listening to albums, and I still listen to albums, and I wonder if that becomes more and more anachronistic and people don't listen to albums, but it sounds like most musicians kind of do. How do you guys feel about albums and recording albums? And, and you know, like I have a, a teenage daughter, and she definitely, you know, just gravitates to individual cuts and builds playlists and doesn't really listen to albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah. That's definitely the direction that, that it's going. I mean, it's, I mean, when we think about it back in the day, it was just singles and it's kind of come back to that where, you know, because of Spotify and now you can curate your own, your own playlist, I 
you know, it's, it is just about the song now. Um, I think Tyler and I both agree that we as well grew up listening to full records and, um, I enjoy the process of making a full record. It's, it's a finished thought. It's a, it's a story from start to finish, you know, it's just, uh, it's a journey and, and you can't really get to know the artist unless you go through, you know, their, their full record. And now people won't have, I mean, I, I think it's sort of like an unattached, version of music you just listen to it because mm-hmm. it makes you feel good but are you really getting to know the person and what they're trying to say as an artist so you know it's uh, it's something that is to me a little sad but you know I have faith that it'll come back around and the ones that do you know the ones there are people there are a lot of people out there like us that listen to it to full record so um, I think it'll come back around. That's it's really a new, a new trend, though, because if you think about it, the greatest selling album of all time is Eagles Greatest Hits. So I think as, as, as early as people have had the option to um, cipher everything down into like a, exactly what they want to hear, they've been doing it. You know, as soon as I learned what a CD-ROM or tape was and was able to dub tapes and, and make mixtapes. I did, you know, and I mostly listened to these blank CD-ROMs that friends would make me, you know, the combination of different songs. So Apple and Spotify and stuff kind of just maybe took what we already wanted and just made it easier to do. Um, but I think the album will always exist, and that's why I listen to records, you know. I feel like it's something that you know, you owe to the art. I feel like the artists I respect, I owe that to them. You know, when an artist I respect puts out a record, I, I want to sit down and listen to the whole thing the way they intended it to. Um, and I think just from a business standpoint, it's getting away from that because there are people we work with that tell us that, well, no one's going to care about your record and your song. So if you want people to hear these songs, you got to spread them out and put them on as singles because otherwise they get lost, which is kind of true. But um, you know, my favorite part of music is making albums and I love, love touring and doing all the other stuff that comes with it, but making the album is the best part because it doesn't involve any of the business stuff or the, um, yeah, and that's what, that's what I want to do the rest of my life is make albums. So I don't think, and I think there's a lot of people like that, so I don't think that's going to go away. Um, there are going to be people that just make singles, so. Another way is to get some visibility, though, is to marry your music with like TV shows and films and stuff. And I, I think you guys have had pretty good luck with that. But I think that's a little bit dangerous too. Um, I don't. I mean, personally, the the film and TV has been what has saved us as a band because we're an independent band. We don't rely on anyone else financially. Um, we really rely on those on those placements to exist to help us make the records we want to make. So um, if that was there, you know, we, who knows what Escondido, where we would be. <laughs> Do you ever have to turn that down, though, because the project, just doesn't look like something you would want your music associated with? Or do you think you're... Oh, certainly. Yeah. You know, yeah, of course. If there's, of course, if there's something that we really disagree with and it's 
you know, for an ad or something that we don't believe in, yeah, we definitely turn it down. But that hasn't happened yet. Thank goodness. <laughs> I think it's um, it's somewhat separate. You know, I think there's there's parts of music that you do because you love them, and the part and then there's another thing that you turn on just for like work. You know, and I mean, it's just like a. In terms of like, well, if I didn't do this and say it's working as a server or something, you know, this would be crappy too. So I kind of, I almost like in my head can do it, look at it in different ways. Um, and see some of it's work and some of it is what I'm passionate about. And hopefully they combine, you know, and a lot of, a lot of shows use the um, recorded versions of songs from the records. So we're not doing anything different yet. We're just doing what we love. And then they just choose to have that be a soundtrack to what their project is. Yeah, that's great. The other interesting thing is that you guys bring such a sense of style to everything. Uh, do you bring that to the tour as well? You know, we've, you know we've, been a, we've been a band for like six years now, and we've gone through phases. You know, I I um, was a fashion designer back in the day, and so that was another form of expression for me, so I really enjoyed making these sort of costume pieces and Tom and I would take all these photo shoots and stuff and now I'm sort of in a different place in my life where I feel like I really just want people to hear it musically rather than showing you know I, I don't want it to take away from the music um, and I think that wardrobe can do that sometimes and so I'm kind of viewing it in a different light now, but that's just the process, you know, that's like growing up and you go through phases and you test things. And, but it was a really big, it still is like a really big part of who we are and how we got started was our style. Um, yeah, I've recently just stripped it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With You mentioned, you called out, David Lynch, by name in your bio, did you guys watch Twin Peaks this past summer? Yeah, it's great. I didn't, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a huge fan of him. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. They were showing uh, recently in the local theater here at Asheville, Belcourt Theater. They had a whole week of all those films you could go and watch. So I went and watched a few of them. It's awesome. Um, yeah, we had randomly, I think he just heard our music when. I was going to play the radio in LA and uh, started telling people about it. So it was kind of early on one of a uh, part of our band story that we're super grateful about. I'm really into meditation too. And so he's sort of, um, you know, I've never done transcendental meditation, but he, you know, I really believe in what he says and talks about and, and his beliefs in the powers of meditation. Have you done any research into transcendental meditation at all? I've done some. We we played um we played a <laughs> fundraiser in at the El Rey with Lord Huron and we got like these free these free like transcendental kind of There's classes. A for trans his for David Lynch's transcendental meditation uh, yeah. foundation. Yeah. Yeah. But um and so I've I mean, I've read his book about it, and I personally, you know, I kind of found my own way of meditation. I think it's like if it appeals to you, 
I think, you know, and go for it. But I think it's all like a personal, a personal way, <laughs> like whatever works for you. But I'm not really into like the, I think it's just like chanting one word. They give you like a word and then you chant it over and over again. And that's your word for life. Yeah. Like mantra. Mantra. Yeah. Mantra, yeah. Well, the, I talked to someone who was in really uh, like uh, I, I had no idea that uh, there was one person who really um, uh, popularized transcendental meditation, the the whole program that David Lynch was is part of. But they opened a whole city, like a TM city someplace in the Midwest, and they had schools and kids. And, you know, it was just it was it was almost like Harry Potter. It's like, really, this existed in the United States where. You know, what? Where is that? You know where? In the Midwest? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll email I think her her name was Claire Hoffman who who wrote this book about growing up and she had both good and bad things to say about growing up in that but it it was just fascinating to me. Uh Wow. <laughs> because it, I mean it just uh you know like the idea of uh it's almost like a, a religious movement because it just doesn't seem like we have those like messianic figures anymore. Like, um, I don't, uh, right now I'm reading David Foster Wallace's infinite jest and it's, it's a, you know, it's about the idea of yeah. belief and what do you, what do you believe in? And it just seems like, uh, any more, you know, like music and going to shows, but you know, like big, institutional things you can believe in is uh, harder to come by. I think it's just a personal, a personal journey. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I can get into it, but I've recently, I just watched the documentary on uh, Dalai Lama. Yeah. And a huge fan. And I, I've been on that search myself, just kind of trying to figure out, you know, how, where am I happy? And um, I went to Thailand and I went to like, you know, Buddhist retreats, Buddhist monastery and did like silent retreats, 11 days. And I've just been on this sort of personal journey and I find myself gravitating more towards um, just being super appreciative of life. And, and, uh, and I find that through meditation, through my own personal way of meditation. And Judaism has been kind of a big part of that, but there's so many, I don't know, I've just been doing tons of research on like, you know, different forms of meditation. And I think that it's a good thing and you can take anything good and turn it bad, you know? Well, tell us about your meditation practice. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's Is a it daily, yeah. It's a daily practice, and I usually, you know, wake up in the morning. It's the first thing I do, and I do about 20 minutes a day. I try to do it twice a day, but I'll wake up in the morning, and I'll just focus in on my breath and breathing. And um, it's kind of a lovely thing to wake up, and that's like the start of the day, is just focusing on your breath and how, you know, your body is working, and it's just, that's the first thing you think about rather than I used to just wake up and go, I need to see my email or I need that cup of coffee. <laughs> but now it's like, I wake up and I go, 
no, I need to, I need to listen to my breath and like, and get my body into that sort of state. And then the rest of my day is just sort of a continuing flow of that. And, um, and nothing seems to, it's just like, yeah, it's just like a really nice way to start the day. Um, but on the road, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder. You know, I was really testing it on this, this time around, like, um, this is the first time we've been on tour in a long time. And, um, you know, it was probably a year of, um, you know, without touring. So this is like a totally whole new way of, of how do I bring my practice on the road with me? And it was really great. I mean, it really helped. I would do it in the van or I would like wake up before the rest of the band and I would just go and, and just continue the practice on the road. And, um, it's a lot of work, but I'm noticing the benefits. What about artistic practice? So this is something that always comes up on this program too, is that some of the people that I talk to, the ones that, uh, well, just, they end up, they can't help but create. Like that's just how they interact with the universe. And then the, the product of that interaction is, you know, whatever the artistic product itself, but it's not necessarily the goal. It's just what happens because this is what they do every day. Um, you know, what, what kind of artistic practice do you guys have? Is it something that you do every day or is it something that you do, uh, seasonally? How, how, how do your lives structured on a kind of daily artistic basis? For me, it's a every day. Um, you know, I just built a studio at my house, so to specifically do just that. So um, every day I wake up and go in there and try to create something, and so and just save it. You know, so if I look at my computer hard drive, it's just January one, January two, January three. Sometimes it's just thirty seconds, thirty a thirty second montage of some funk jam, and sometimes <laughs> it's a whole song. And often, oftentimes, uh, artists will come in. And I'll write with them when we record a song. Sometimes it's two o'clock in the morning and I have some friends over and we go in there and just jam and I push record. And so it's like, um, that's definitely something that um, a lot of people in Nashville are about. It's like we, everyone here, it's a town of people that maybe grew up being a little bit disenfranchised as like the, the one of the few artists in their town. And they move to, you know, and they're like losers and they move to this place to where like everyone's just like them and it can be overwhelming um, but once you find kind of your place and what you like doing and what makes you happy, um, it becomes a, a great community that supports each other and inspires each other and collaborates with each other. And, um, and that's, you know, for me, that's, I go to music for anything to help me cope with anything I'm going through, whether it's like I'm brokenhearted or, or sad or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's there. That's my therapy um and it can it's eases a way to um, you know sometimes just as a distraction if nothing else but often most of the time it's a lot larger than that more meaningful it's something that helps transform you and and get you to a new place and helps you most figure out some answers you've been looking for that you didn't even know you had within you um that the music kind of brings out yeah i do it almost every day as well um, but I was finding myself 
honestly to be too much into it that I that it was making me sort of unhappy because I was dwelling in my thoughts and I was overthinking and really living in that state of pain. And uh, so I needed to, you know, kind of put my energy in other things and other creative things. And And me personally, I need other creative things to help me go back to music and um, see it in a different light and be able to um, know when I need to get out of it and uh, know when I need to get into it. So that's sort of my process. Escondido, why why did you guys land on that as the the name of the band? Well, we were on a spaceship and an alien told us the name. No, shucking. Um, <laughs> we wanted to have a... Uh, I just was looking at a map of I just was looking at a map of Mexico for some cool town names, potential band names for the style of music we we're making, and uh, you know Escondido is also a giant, a town north of San Diego. Uh huh. Um, but I don't know. We just thought that Tyler, the band. When he said it to me, I was just like, oh, of course. Yeah, like no, it, sounded... it, yeah, it it feels right. It feels totally right, but I, it feels like there's some history there because it feels so right. It's like, well, it feels like there, you know, it's like Hotel California almost. Like there's some kind of past uh, thing that has to exist that doesn't necessarily, right? Well, I think that you know, now I'm in this thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, did we name ourselves right? Because because it means hidden. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh no, is this bad? Does this mean that our music can be hidden for life? It's like, <laughs> now I'm just like, oh my gosh. Um, but they're, they're, in our music, I think that the more you listen to it, the more you'll find these little, um, I don't know, interesting qualities that you may not have noticed when you first listened to it. And so... Um, I don't know. There's, there's, uh, some, I, I don't know. I wouldn't change it at all. I've had people, I've had business people tell me all the time, you should change your name, you should change your name. And, uh, I just, like, you should change your name. Change your <laughs> birth name. John. Well, so, Steven, whatever the name is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the main themes that we like on this show is, is synchronicity and, and it's you know that idea of meaningful coincidence where sometimes you recognize these forces in your life that guide you to the right place at the right time uh, and you don't realize it until after the fact but you, when you're in the moment and you, you see some kind of something and you feel like oh yeah this is confirming that I'm I'm right where I need to be. I wonder, like you said, that the band name means hidden. You know, it's like that could be a really interesting synchronicity. Is this is this a force that you guys are aware of and uh, something that you uh, think about? It's something I think about for sure. I, I go, oh, I mean, is this a thing? Could this be, um, you know? Because I, I do believe in that. I do believe that a name is a powerful thing. That's with you. That's stuck with you. That's going to follow you wherever you go. 
and um, meanings of names, especially, you know. So, yeah, I think about that. But I do, I do believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason and the music that we make and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> um, it's definitely a, a very natural thing for us. Um, so who knows? I'm just on this journey. <laughs> Did you have any synchronicities that brought you to where you are? You know, like any great uh, stories? Musically speaking? Sure. Like, yeah, we, well, Jess and I both, we both moved here when we were younger and um, both did our first recordings of the same producer um, like 10 years before we actually met. So we must have these parallel lives. Um, we're both doing things separate from each other, but kind of the same. Um, and that it took having different life experiences, whether professionally or personally, to, to get to where we were ready to, have, to start a band. You know, so when it actually happened, it was like so perfect. I was, I didn't want to be a solo artist anymore. Jessica wanted to get back into music. I guess she hadn't done it in a while, and, and it was like all these things maybe weren't working. Our lives and we didn't look like we wanted them to. And we kind of both just fell into his life at the same time. And, I mean, just within the day we met, kind of, we almost started a band. Um, and that's kind of, and then without even really realizing it, what it would become or anything, that was like six years past, and this is, we're still doing it. Um, it's a very natural, it was, like I said, you know, just like it all naturally happened. I mean, I was at the time married. And then I was going through a divorce and I, and I lost my, I sold my fashion company and I, you know, through my fashion company, I met a friend who was a stylist and I expressed to her that she heard me sing and I expressed to her that I, you know, all I want to do is sing. I, I want to get back into music again. And she invited me to come to her friend's house, who's Tyler and she said, why don't you come over and, and um, play in the song that you wrote? And, she, and then I come over, and the next thing I know, you know, we're recording the song, and I walk away with, you know, I've written with a ton of people, and no one's ever really been able to capture the, the tonality of my voice and the, the um, arrangement of the songs the way that Tyler does. And I've written, I still to this day try to write, and I write and write with so many other people, but it's either I write alone or um, or I write with Tyler. Um, but it's but he really allows me to just do my thing, and he kind of he like adds to it. It's just this great balance. Um, so you know, and then through that, I always kind of look at signs in life, and and. You know, we were, when we released the first few songs, we had no idea what was going to happen. I had no, I had no idea how music worked at the time. I just wanted to, I was just really excited that I was doing it. And then, you know, slowly but surely people just started to gravitate towards it. And there was this slow pull. One thing led to another. And then next thing we know, we're, you know, playing live shows and we're touring and we're on the road and we're playing Conan and 
for getting all this press and yeah. And, uh, yeah, cool. people always ask. Everyone's trying to figure out how to like make their dreams come true, and <laughs> all we can do is like do the best we do the best we can, make the best art we can, and usually all the stuff that has worked for us is something that was almost beyond our control. You know, we just did did well the the things we knew how, and the rest just kind of happened. And so it felt a lot of it feels like a uphill battle, but we've been really lucky in that regard. We're not a hugely successful band, but we've had enough things happen to where like, you know, we're supposed to be doing this and we're happy doing it. We're going to continue to put in the work. You know, yeah, like you, there are days where it does get really hard and you feel like you want to quit. And I've had those moments where I had these expectations of, well, why aren't we, you know, why aren't we selling out shows? and Why aren't we doing all these things? But it's like these things take time and I think are just a testament of, of your craft. And we're in this to um, just kind of tell our story and to continue making music. And, um, you know, some people, every career, every musical career is completely different from the other. And there are some people that have, extreme overnight success over one song and then 10 years later they're done you know and we've managed to even over the course of six years you know put out two records now we're putting out a third we're building um we're building something and it's slow and it's steady but we're just kind of that's kind of you know and there's it's not rocket science it's kind of back in the day it seems like like looking at um, other artists' careers, you know, they do it because they love it and they put out 10 records and sometimes the 10th record is the one that everyone knows about, you know? <laughs> so well, it's like, it's pretty interesting. So it looks like you, you're, when you come through Boise, you're, you're in and then you're, you're off to another stop the next day, I think Spokane. Will have you looked at the yeah for- biggest market? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so you get you get to be in. Bo- have you been to Boise before? Yeah, I have. have. Yeah, I don't know if we've played it as Escondido, but just in different projects we've played it. Uh, will you be able to take advantage of Tree Fort at all that day? Have you looked at Have you looked at it at all? Ooh. We I've seen some of the bands I'm excited about. I'd have to look at the schedule again to make to see the, which ones I remember being excited about. But we probably won't get a large chance to be there because we're going to be driving the the night before we play in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And the next night Spokane. So the drive to Spokane's pretty short. So maybe the next day, depending, we can stick around. But the day of our set, we'll probably be having having woken up really early in Salt Lake City and driven up. So whoever's no, you know, playing the shows the night that of the day we were playing, I'm sure we'll be able to catch. All right. Well, that was 42 minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank, thank you, you for uh, talking with us and inviting yeah. us on. You bet. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to Escondido on 42 minutes. Be sure to check them out at Treeport and on tour. We'll link to all that information. For more information about the Sync Book, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others as currently all the Sync Book radio archives are free. 
We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you out there, folks. Yeah.